Welcome to the Saskatoon and Six podcast. We're joined by Jaffney. She's an experienced therapist working with clients in private practice. She's completed her master's in clinical psychology at Laurentian University and her honors bachelor's of science at the University of Toronto. Jaffney offers therapy to clients with a wide variety of concerns, including anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, work school stress, workplace injuries. Her clinical work is integrated as she draws from different evidence-based treatment modalities, including cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, emotion-focused, uh, acceptance and commitment, and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. She's able to provide therapy in both English and Tamil. In addition to her clinical work, Jaffney has over seven years of experience working in psychological research, which includes research positions at the University of Toronto and the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's an incredible bio. Thank you for joining us, Jaffney. Thank you for having me, Dave. Uh, Jaffney, actually, you know, it's a funny thing. We're, we're both uh, Tamil. I, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. So can you help <laughs> me pronounce your last name? So it's Pagavit Singh. Awesome. Um, so uh, the reason why I wanted Jaffney on is uh, she and I share the same heritage. We're both Tamil Sri Lankan origin. Um, as I've, I've got older, I've realized how much my heritage has informed my life, which came as a surprise to me because I'm as Canadian as you can get. I don't even speak Tamil. Uh, but the stories told and the conventions of my household have guided, have guided my life. One obvious example of this is the 1956 race riots in Sri Lanka. Uh, the Tamils, which Jaffney and I are, were the minority, but uh, they held uh, some of the well-paying jobs, like the civil service jobs. Like the one my grandfather held as an overseer, he managed construction projects and his poorly paid workers were usually Sinhalese, the majority. My grandparents lived in Mathura, which was um, a small fishing village in Southern Sri Lanka in 1956, a small Sinhalese dominated area. All the other Tamil families fled before the race riots knowing that the riots were coming. But my grandparents decided to stay because they were not political. They felt like they didn't hurt or offend anyone. So my grandfather went to work the day after the riots and he saw all the Tamil businesses burnt down. He saw the Tamil homes burnt down, but that didn't stop him. He still went to work. Several hours passed after my grandfather went to work and there was growing concern in the neighborhood uh, and my grandmother was very concerned. My, my mother, who was nine years old at the time, was very concerned about my grandfather's well-being. Several hours passed and uh, there was a car that pulled up. My grandfather was in the car. His Sinhalese laborers were there with him. Uh, they vowed to protect him at any cost, including their lives. The story was recounted by my mother to me. Several, several times throughout my life, my mother explained to me the importance of working hard, being honest, being courageous, and staying away from the craziness that will hover over you. As I've got older, I realized the, how the fear of that day, her experience as a nine-year-old, the decades of fear 
that Tamils of experience has been transmitted to me. Most of the decisions I've made have been guided by fear. Uh, the first time I heard about intergenerational trauma, it was in the context of my Jewish friends who shared how their grandparents' experience as Holocaust survivors has traumatized them. But it took me years to realize just how traumatized I was by my own parents' experience, the experience of my grandparents. Jaffney, thank you for listening. Can you please talk to the listeners about intergenerational trauma? First of all, Dave, thank you for sharing that story. I think, um, you know, that's something that's deeply personable and I'm glad that you're, you're willing to share that story with everyone. Um, so just talking about intergenerational trauma, um, it's a trauma that gets passed down from those who directly experience an incident um, and it gets passed on to subsequent generations. Uh, so when those people who've lived through the original trauma haven't had a chance to heal from it, um, it can get passed down to their children and their grandchildren. Um, and they can feel the, the effects of the trauma even though they don't or they didn't experience it firsthand. Um, and so it can get passed down through generations, through learned beliefs, behaviors, and different patterns of thought. Um, and so some of the symptoms of generational trauma can include anxiety, depression, panic attacks, nightmares, being more vigilant, um, having a sense of a shortened future, or having issues with self-esteem and self-confidence. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that intergenerational trauma doesn't only affect individuals, it can also impact a whole community, just like you discussed. For example, um, these communities um, who have been impacted by war or discrimination, um, can really experience the effects of the intergenerational trauma. Thank you, Jeffney. I, I just want to turn our attention, make a little bit of a pivot. I want to turn our attention to Canada. There was a 2003 study. It was called a community in distress, mm -hmm. mental health needs and help seeking in the Tamil community in Toronto. I realize it's a nearly 20 year old study, but the data here is quite illuminating. Uh, the most salient point I took away from the study is that respondents were overwhelmingly more willing to seek out help for physical issues like a toothache. Let me repeat, a toothache over severe mental health issues like suicidal thoughts. Why do you think, Jaffney, there's such a resistance to seek help for mental health? I think the biggest barrier that comes to mind um, when I think about the Tamil community and even other communities in general is the stigma attached to receiving help, right? So people are very concerned of what others might think um, or they might be ashamed or embarrassed about their condition. Um, and so there are also other barriers uh, that can affect um, whether people uh, have access to treatment. And so 
Some of it also might be they don't know what's available to them. Um, there also might be a gap in understanding what psychological treatment or counseling actually look like and what does it mean. Um, and also some people, they might feel that their problems can go away on their own or that they can solve the problems themselves. I think, um, you know, telling people about their physical symptoms or conditions are easier for some people than saying, you know, that they have a mental health condition and they're more likely to seek out professional help for their physical symptoms rather than for their mental health symptoms when really mental health problems can be just as dangerous um, to your health as physical problems. Um, you know, you know, just kind of attaching uh, or dovetailing the last question here. Uh, you know, I've witnessed mm -hmm. loads of people in my own family not doing well, maybe myself not doing well. But um, when you haven't been, when you don't, when you don't have a better example, for the lack of a word, um, how can you recognize that the people around you are not doing well? And how do you recognize that you're not doing so well? Um, when you don't have an example of, of good mental health? I think there are a number of signs that you can look out for both yourself and for other people. Um, and just generally, I think, looking for a change in baseline. So what that means is, are you or your loved one behaving differently than normal? Um, so a bunch of things you can look out for are, firstly, sleep or appetite changes. So you might find that you or someone else, you're having trouble falling asleep, or maybe you're spending more time in bed, it's difficult to get out of bed. Or even in some cases, um, you find that you don't need as much sleep as you used to. Um, you might lose your appetite, or you might uh, feel like eating more. And these changes can also include uh, changes in your self-care. So you might feel less motivated to take showers, um, to get out of bed, to do your typical grooming. Um, something else you can look out for are mood changes, right? So looking out for any significant mood changes, including a depressed mood or having rapid changes to an elevated mood. So mood swings. Another common aspect is withdrawal. So what that means is, are you or your loved one withdrawing from socializing or participating in activities that you once enjoyed? And this is usually because there's a loss of interest. Um, this can look like canceling plans with friends, not reaching out to them, or discontinuing hobbies. Um, and also something that comes with mental health problems are a drop in functioning. So this can really affect your work or your school performance. So, um, and also having problems thinking, right? So changes in concentration, memory, or if you're noticing that someone else isn't, you know, producing logical speech or thoughts, that can be a major 
red flag um, for a mental health issue. You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, someone that's in the, uh, a Canadian celebrity, uh, Simi Liu, who uh, I think has been casted in Marvel. Right. Yeah, he, he was a CA and he wrote a famous article about how he struggled so much and, you know, he, he lost his job and, uh, you know, had kind of suicidal thoughts. So it's very consistent with, mm-hmm. uh, with what you just said. Um, uh, Jaffney, how do you convince uh, the people around you to get help? And how do you go about getting these people help? Obviously, we know you can't force an adult necessarily <laughs> to seek out uh, help. So how do you how do you use the resources of this great country of ours uh, to get the people you love help? I think this is a question that I get a lot. And it's funny because, you know, people think if everyone around them goes to therapy, then they'll have no problems of their own. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, this could be a very sensitive topic for some people. Um, you might feel very tempted to push your loved one into getting treatment. Um, but it's, it's not very effective when you do that because then you risk um, the person actually shutting you out of all communication related to the topic. So I think it's important to approach this um, by expressing your concerns um, to the person using I statements instead of you statements. So what that means is, you know, I statements focus on what you're feeling and thinking rather than pointing at the other person and criticizing them. Because criticizing them will run you the risk of them getting defensive and shutting you out. So for example, you can tell them, um, when I hear about you talking about how sad you're feeling, it makes me feel very worried for you. Um, I think it could be helpful if you talk to someone about how you're feeling. And so depending on how they react to that, um, you know, maybe they need some time to think about it, or maybe they tell you, yeah, like, I, I, I agree with you, I, I would like to get some help. Um, so, and then in relation to that, um, you can ha- try to get them some help. So there are different types of services available. Um, You know, there are social workers, counselors, psychotherapists, psychologists, depending on what the need is, um, you can help the person when they're ready to find a provider for them. Um, And also, I think it's important to take care of yourself during this process, um, because having someone close to you experience a mental health illness can be stressful on you as well. So I think it's important to take some time to check in on yourself and make sure that you're okay so that you can also help the person you love um, get the help, best help that they need as well. Yeah. You know, this is, that, that was a, you know, that's a very difficult question. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a question that we all, a lot of people confront, a lot of families confront and it's sometimes it's an ongoing battle. uh, in your family within your family um 
there is a 2013 research article. It was published in a medical journal. It's called The Social Dimensions of Health and Illness in the Sri Lankan Tamil Diaspora, Implications for Mental Health Service Delivery. Um, what I took away from this article is that there was a startling gen gender differences in the community about how they perceive mental well-being. So for example, Tamil men um, perceived it as a mental well-being or equated mental well-being to the ability to provide for their family um, and educate their children, whereas women, um, you know, equated mental health with um, closely connected to the maintenance of intimate relationships. So usually uh, mm -hmm. they equated it to having a good partner. Um, as second generation Canadians, uh, our ideas about mental health and happiness are, are, um, are usually, you know, very intrinsic and they're not dependent on external bigger community um, implications and things. Um, how, how do we as second generation Canadians support our parents and our grandparents when we fundamentally uh, don't understand their version of mental health and happiness. Uh, I'm not saying that we, you know, don't want uh, the well-being of a community, but we usually look internally, and that's the way that um, society hopes that we kind of gain our happiness. Is it's like you know it, you got to find it within. How do you how do you support um, your parents and your grandparents? um in, in their own mental health and in their own search for happiness so i think that really it highlights a, an important difference between maybe our generation and our parents generation right so our parents you can argue they come from a very collectivistic culture which is typical of you know east asian or south asian cultures um Whereas we, you know, born in Canada, we were raised, um, especially in the school system, to have, you know, individualistic um, goals and dreams. And so that's kind of what contributes to the gap between the, the generations. Um, and so I think it's important to acknowledge that, right? So it's not saying one is right and one is wrong. Um, we don't have to accept that what our parents, our parents' idea of happiness is the right way to go. Um, but we can see them and understand them and empathize with them. So I think it's important to see that your parents or our parents have grown up in different times, a different cultural setting with different beliefs. Um, and your ability to understand your parents and even their ability to understand us um, it's caused by outside factors that are not even related to you or them. And I think recognizing this is the first step to have empathy. And I think just realizing that sometimes they don't understand us as well, but, you know, they still support us and love us. And I think that's what's important. Jaffney, uh, a huge pivot here. Uh, what does happiness mean to you? <laughs> Um, I think if you asked me before the pandemic, I would have said something crazy like traveling or going on some 
crazy adventure. But I think now we've all learned, um, you know, having close relationships and, you know, for me, happiness right now is spending time with my friends and family, sharing a meal, having a nice dinner together. That's what makes me truly happy. And so I want to ask you that question. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, <laughs> you know, it's actually, it's funny because I was reflecting on that question uh, today and mm -hmm. I think I've, so obviously the pandemic has changed a lot of our mindsets, but it, it's funny how it's yeah. changed so much throughout my life. Um, I'm guessing I'm probably a little bit older than you. I'm going to be 40 in a couple of months, which is, which is, <laughs> which is so not something that I like admitting wow. on a podcast. <laughs> uh, it's changed so much um, because at 40, um, mm -hmm. a big part of happiness is kind of finding serenity of that, if, just finding the calm. Mm -hmm. Because I've realized that so much of my life has been about panic, right? And fear that I discussed mm -hmm. before and just kind of resetting and just being, just being happy with whatever comes, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a global pandemic, uh, <laughs> whether it's living in Saskatoon, by the way, as we record this conversation, it was minus 45 this morning in Saskatoon. Wow. So, oh gosh. <laughs> so being happy, that is cold. yeah, being happy with minus 45, um, <laughs> so, um, being, being away from a lot of the people that I love back home in Toronto, being away from these incredible cultural experiences, but being serene with it, being okay with it. And that's kind of my version as a happiness, as happiness as a 40 year old, um, and having two kids being married. Uh, and now being a, a prairie, uh, <laughs> a kid in the <laughs> kid in the in the prairies, right? From going from mm. big city, so much has changed, right? And I just mm -hmm. want to be happy with it. I want to be I want to be okay with it. And mm -hmm. that's probably my version as of happiness as a forty year old. Um, Jaffney, where 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 do the good people listening to the podcast find you? Um, tell us about your practice to, um, if they want to. If they want to get help for themselves or their family, uh, where can they find you? Uh, so currently I'm working at two different private practices. Um, so one is located in Scarborough, um, Toronto East Psychological Services. And there I do mostly MBA work, um, but a lot of my Tamil clientele um, comes from that practice. Um, and the other one is forward thinking psychological services. Um, it's fully virtual and I have, uh, I work with a lot of clients with um, OCD. And so, yeah, depending on what you're looking for, uh, you can find me at those two private practices. Awesome. Thank you, Jaffney, again. Thank you for uh, coming in. And I hope uh, a lot of people listen to this and uh, I hope they gained value from it. I've certainly gained a lot of value uh, from listening to your words. Thank you so much. I have as well, Dave, and thank you so much for sharing your story. And I hope it reaches a lot of people.